and uh, it's just a, been a great week uh, with, with making progress personally and as a family, uh, and then it's connecting more and more to the church here. Uh, the weather was, was uh, great this last week. I enjoyed that. Yep. We brought a little bit of Australia with us, uh, mm-hmm. weather-wise, from what I've heard. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, to, uh, to go to Lewis's baptism on Thursday night. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then to, to end the week, we're celebrating my anniversary with my wife, 16 years Woo! yesterday. But all the other things he puts up with as well uh, that come with me. It's just been, uh, it's, it's been great. Uh, we are studying out the book of Philippians together. We started that last Sunday. Uh, you can turn in uh, to Philippians uh, chapter 1. And as we said last week, uh, this church was planted by the Apostle Paul and his companions. And the book of Acts in chapter 16 uh, records this great start. Visions, prayers, conversions, earthquakes, it had it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a great start Mm -hmm. uh, to the church in Philippi as recorded uh, in the book of Acts. And last Sunday we started our exposition of of Philippians, the the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi ten years after the church had started. He's now Mm -hmm. on house arrest Mm -hmm. um, in Rome and he's writing letters to the different churches and he writes this letter to to Philippi which uh, through the Holy Spirit and God ultimately was canonized into scripture. So we're studying that out together uh, as a church. And so last Sunday we talked about the idea that we should continue to grow. How, you know, ten years later, Paul and the church of Philippi are still growing strong and they're moving uh, in new directions. We talked about faithful friendships. The idea that the mission is the greatest thing that we can have in our relationships together. It binds us and gives us a, a greater call and purpose. We talked about being prayer partners. How prayer was so central to the church then and must be central to the church now for it to continue to be God's people. Mm-hmm. Finally, complete confidence that we are, yes, works in progress, but God is not done. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will continue to work through the mess mm-hmm. of our lives and in the mess of the church. Amen. But to continue to complete the task mm-hmm. uh, that Jesus set out for in his death for us mm-hmm. on the cross. As Roy, Roy did a great job sharing about today. Thank you, Roy, mm-hmm. for the communion message. And so tonight, uh, we're going to finish our time here. See, I've got that too. I know it's tonight, not this morning. <laughs> uh, we're going to finish our time here with the theme of keep going. And of course, uh, Mo Farah won the gold uh, last night. Hey, hey, hey. uh, his third gold is the first uh, mm-hmm. uh, Great Britain uh, track st- uh, athlete to win three golds mm-hmm. uh, in the track and field. I think he's going for more oh, yeah. uh, soon here. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. So I thought he was a little, a little visual inspiration uh, mm-hmm. for our theme tonight of keep going. So we're going to pick it up here where we left off. Last Sunday, in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 12. Let's read together. Mm-hmm. Paul goes on, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Referring, of course, to his imprisonment. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Verse 14, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true, he says in verse 15, that some preach Christ out of envy and robbery, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, Paul says, I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. 
For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Mm -hmm. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, he says. 4 and verse 21, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will be fruitful labor for me, he says. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Then he concludes in verse 27 here as we wrap up chapter 1. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So let's talk uh, tonight about this idea of keep going from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. You know, Paul closes out here uh, you know, with this theme of the gospel uh, in chapter 1. Uh, the word gospel shows up nine times. Paul references it nine times in this letter. Here in chapter 1, it shows up six times. And so this emphasis on the gospel uh, is a huge thing. In verse 12 specifically, uh, specifically here in verse 12... Uh, he emphasizes this statement. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, referring to his imprisonment, that what, what has happened has actually served to advance the gospel. You know, Philippi was starting to build upon the gospel. And so it's no coincidence then that, that the gospel is a major theme uh, in this book, uh, aside from joy. And it's not uh, hard to see that when you bring the gospel out and you, and you talk about it a lot, then joy follows. Because when we refer to this word, the gospel, we don't really use that word in English language. Uh, it refers to this idea of the good news, uh, that Jesus saves us from our sins. And one of the great things about salvation that I've come to understand over time is it's, it's not just about uh, eternity. You know, Our salvation as Christians is eternal, and it's not just about uh, our, our time beyond this life. It, it starts now. You know, the, the, the eternity that Jesus offers us is, is qualitative and quantitative. Yes, it's quantitative, meaning that we'll, we'll be saved forever and ever. Our souls will live on with God in heaven forever once we die as Christians because of the blood of Jesus. But it's also qualitative. We, we get to have freedom from sin. All those things we know about ourselves that are not good, that we don't want to be doing, that we are tempted to do, Jesus can free us from that struggle. And that's the good news of the gospel, is it not? Yep. Uh, and it's tangible. We can taste it as Christians right now. Mm. But of course, the best is yet to come in heaven. Mm. When it'll all be free, we'll be free of all those things uh, forever and ever. But we have to have the gospel at the center of our lives, that good news every day, uh, to live that out. And we have to bring that message to this city and to this country in order for all those who don't know the good news yet to know it. And it's interesting studying culture. Um, I went through a study uh, at YouGov uh, on, the, on the internet about uh, faith in the UK. Uh, and that's quite interesting. Um, it says here, and this kind of just goes through the stats roughly that I'll read here, 
Uh, the study just done in 2015 said overall a third, 33% of British adults, do not believe in God or a greater spiritual power of any kind. Roughly the same number as believe, uh, roughly the same number also believe in some, some kind of God. Uh, the, the rest either believe in a higher power, but not a God at all, or don't know what they believe. Now, that would be 14% and 20% uh, uh, the former and latter. Uh, and it actually says this is data from 2012. So the stats are they're, they're dropping uh, since the last time three years previous that the statistics were taken. Um, younger Britons, it says, tend even more towards non-belief. Uh, Britons aged 20, 18 to 24, 25%, only a quarter. One in four young Britons actually believe in some kind of God. And that's not defined as to what kind of God you believe in here, right? Uh, and then and then 46%, nearly one out of two kids say they don't believe in God at all. They think it's superstition. It's tradition. It's irrelevant uh, to life today. And then what's even more scary is those who call themselves Christians. You know, they over the phone say, yes, I'm a Christian. You know, I, I put that in quotes. Because uh, what's interesting is these people who self-identified as Christians, said only 23% of them, only 20, 23%, I'm sorry, only 55% of them say they actually believe in a God. They say they're Christians, but 45% of them don't actually believe in a God. 23% of them certainly who say that Christians believe in some sort of spiritual power, but they would not define it as a God. And then 9% of those who said they were Christians, they don't believe in any God. <laughs> And then 12% said, I just don't know what I believe. I can't even answer that question when asked about what they believed about God. But these are the ones surveyed in that, in that phone survey that said they, they, they are Christians. So needless to say, when we look at these statistics, the UK needs the gospel. <laughs> we need to proclaim loudly and clearly. And it's just getting worse. 2012 stats were better than the 2015. I'm a little nervous about the 2018 stats. But the church is meant to change that. The church is meant to make that different, right? But it starts with us. It starts with me and it starts with you as Christians. You know, is the gospel alive in our hearts? Are we really rejoicing today about the good news? Do, do we really understand what we have in Christ and the gift that we have through the gospel? And it's not easy. It's not easy in a culture like this to get it, let alone stand firm in it. And so we really, as, as a church, have to make sure we really we, we, we keep going. And, and what keeps us going ultimately is the gospel. Uh, and there's, there's three things here that stand out in this passage to me about the gospel that Paul speaks of and exemplifies that will help us, I believe. Uh, to be that city on the hill, to be that light in the darkness of the good news uh, that Jesus wants to bring, not just to our lives, but to our city and to this great country that we live in. The first thing here, uh, to, really, to really advance the gospel, we've got to bear the gospel. We've got to be willing to suffer for the gospel. We've got to bear it. You know, Paul here speaks a lot of, of his suffering for the gospel. Uh, in chapter 1, he mentions it in verse 12, verse 14, verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, verses 22 to 24, and again in verses 27 to 29. Over and over and over, he mentions his sufferings for the gospel. But he says, but you know what? It's not stopping the gospel. He says in verse 12, it's actually advancing the gospel, the suffering that he's going through for the gospel. 
We don't see it that way. We think, yeah, let's go save Birmingham. And so let's all suffer and then we'll do it. No, we think the opposite. We think, you know, you know, uh, magistrates and, and officials are going to want to bring us in to, to share the Bible with them. No, biblically speaking, it's going to be they're going to persecute us. And somehow that's going to advance the gospel. It doesn't it doesn't logically make sense to us that to advance the gospel, we must suffer for it. The church in Philippi was born under persecution. And it's clear a decade later they're still being persecuted for their faith. Verse 28 actually says, you know, don't be frightened by those who oppose you. And so the opposition is still strong and it's still there. You know, how does persecution, opposition help advance the gospel? It's a good question, right? And we need to understand this so we're willing to, to suffer for it. Well, I think suffering for a great cause reminds us how valuable and worthy that cause is. Right? The more we see how valuable something is, the more we will fight for it. The more we will endure pain and suffering for it. And there's nothing greater to suffer for and fight for in this life than the good news that Jesus has brought. And it seems the more Paul suffered, the deeper his hope in the gospel became. And I was reading a... a, a or listened to a podcast recently, and, and the uh, preacher was talking about the difference between temptation and testing. And the Greek words are actually very similar uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and can often be you know, translated one way or the other, depending on the context. Because the Bible always refers to God not as tempting us, but as testing us. God allows us to suffer to test our faith. In other words, to shake it up and make sure it's authentic. To make sure that it's solid. He uses all the bad things we go through in his name for our benefit. To make our faith stronger. That is God's mm-hmm. testing. But Satan, of course, uses all those bad things to tempt us. Mm-hmm. To, to cause us to, to want to sin. He can't make us sin. Mm-hmm. But he tempts us to sin. Mm-hmm. And so God uses it for our benefit. Of course, Satan uses, tries to use it for our demise. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have perspective. To really advance the gospel when it comes to suffering for the gospel. The best orchards and vineyards oftentimes are found in arid places. And it doesn't make sense, right? Why, why, why would an arid place grow a, a, a great, a, an incredible grapevine, you know, or, or make an incredible, you know, olive orchard? Well, it's because when the plants are deprived of, of the shallow and surface soil of, of water, they go deeper and deeper, and they get the best water and the best nutrients out of the soil as they go deeper into it. But they don't do that physiologically as plants until the ground that they're in is dry and there's no and there's no liquid. And spiritually, that's really the analogy here that Paul makes very clear. The more you suffer for your faith, the more you get deeper in it because you strive more and more to connect to Christ, which is what our faith is all about. Uh, it reminds me of the passage uh, in Jeremiah 17, uh, verses of, of uh, four through four through eight. I just have uh, five through five through eight up here, seven through eight up here. But it talks about how you know the the tree that's cursed, right? It's like the man who trusts in himself and draws strength from the flesh. They're like a bush in the wasteland. They won't see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in parched places of the desert, a salt land where no one lives. That's the person who suffers in the name of Jesus but stays shallow. They're, they're like that, that, that cursed and withering bush in the wasteland. But blessed it says, right? Blessed it says in verse 7 is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water 
that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit. That's the picture of the Apostle Paul right there. He's, he's on house arrest. His neck is on the line, literally, at this point in history. But he says, the gospel is advancing, and I rejoice in it. You know, because he understands. He understands why he's going through what he's going through. And he also sees that as he takes his stand, he emboldens the other Christians to take their stand, too. You know, faithlessness encourages faithlessness. Cowardice encourages cowardice. But faith and courage promotes often the opposite amongst us. And so we really need to ask ourselves, you know, am I someone who's really willing to suffer for the gospel? Am I, am I redeeming the suffering that I'm going through in my life for the gospel? You know, perhaps as a Christian, today if you're a Christian in the room, you know, maybe you're not really full of, of, of joy for the good news because you're not getting deep enough in it. You're not going through the struggles and the strains, you know, the, the awkward conversations that you start with people, trying to reach out to them. Uh, the, the patience and the perseverance it takes to, to sit down with someone and really share the gospel with them. It can be, it can be hard. It can be challenging. And then a lot of times, statistically, they walk away. You give your heart. You give your life. You feed them. You open up your home. And, and several months later, they, they want nothing to do with it. And perhaps they even then turn around and persecute you for what you believe. And that's, that can be very hard. But that's where God wants us to go deeper. And to be willing to suffer for the gospel and understand what we have. And to not let the bad soil make us pull back, but to allow that, 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 that bad soil in someone's life to allow us to look for the good soil in someone else's. Now, in the end, you know, the lost, they miss out, and so do we. So do we. We don't learn to suffer and have perspective through that suffering for the gospel. You know, we, uh, we my, my family and I, we moved in two weeks ago to to Birmingham, and we uh, we lived in Sydney, Australia, uh, four years before that, and uh, and so in the last in the last um, roughly four years, because we had to move home several times before we left the states to get all of our stuff to Sydney, we've lived in six different homes. No, I'm sorry, seven different homes in the last four years, and there's six of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amen, I call it first world missionary suffering. You know, having to move around to to a lot of different homes, so it could be. Could be more challenging, but but I've developed this really severe lower back pain. I think that might be part of the reason. I've, as I thought about it later, uh, having moved seven you know seven different homes in four years, and uh, and I will get into all the story as to why that's happened. We're not like you know we don't like this house. Let's move again. It's all been we've had to move kind of situations. Uh, Sydney's housing market is crazy. Uh, anyway, um, and, and so Thursday I was at uh, Lewis's baptism. And there's a picture of the family there. It was awesome. And church was so encouraged, so inspired by Lewis and his family. And, uh, but I was, I was sitting there and I, we were standing, you know, the sharing starts and, and, and my back is just radiating with pain, you know, and I, I get these spasms sometimes. It was just really bad. And I sat there, you know, the whole time and, 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 and it was very painful. <laughs> I love the baptism. It was awesome. I wouldn't have missed it for that pain, but I was putting the sermon together and, and I thought, you know, I'd rather watch guys like Lewis make Jesus Lord with back pain than the alternative. So I'm here for that every single time. And that's just a small example from my own life. You know, that, that, you know that, that's just a small example. You know, when we suffer for the gospel, it is worth it. When we suffer for the gospel, God is glorified. Fruit is born and lives are changed. 
But we've got to be willing to continue to, to persevere. Maybe you've been discouraged. You've been sharing your faith. You, you're hoping your family will become Christians. You're, 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 you, you feel like you're, you're losing hope in that. Well, maybe you need to go deeper with God and bear the gospel and the suffering that comes with it a little more and see what God might do. Because Paul was not hindered. He was not hindered. If anything, he was helped by his suffering for the gospel. So we've got to bear it. The second thing is here, we've got to proclaim it. We've got to proclaim it. Yep. Verse 13, he speaks of his suffering. He says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. Mm-hmm. And to everyone else, that I'm in chains for Christ. Mm-hmm. And Paul, he must have proclaimed it very well. In chapter 4, verse 22, he says, all the saints in Caesar's household send their greetings. And so he's, he's converted people who work in Caesar's household. These are people who communicate with the, the emperor of Rome. And so Paul, Paul's not just, he's not just talking about Jesus. He's bringing people literally to Jesus while he is in chains. Which made me think about, you know, perhaps some of them were the prison guards who were chained. He would have been chained under house arrest under Roman rule because he was a Roman citizen. He would have been chained to a guard on house arrest. What do you think Paul was doing every day, all day? While he was chained to another guy who doesn't know God. <laughs> you better believe he was preaching to that guy from the time that guy started to shift to the very end. And I like to think that some of those people are those guys that Paul refers to there uh, in chapter 4, verse 22. And that makes me think, if someone was chained to me 24-7, how would they walk away? If someone was chained to you, would they walk away either wanting to become a Christian or, or persecuted you because they want nothing to do with that crazy message that you're bringing. But if we're like Paul, that's how we should be. We should be proclaiming it loud and clear. And Paul reminds me, and I like this because I'm loud, one loud mouth for Christ inspires more loud mouths for Christ. Because it says in verse 14, he says, because of my chains, and all obviously the message of the gospel that he's proclaiming, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What stops you as a Christian from sharing your faith? Paul's neck was on the line and didn't stop him. The awkwardness, the, 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 the social weirdness... Mm-hmm. The, the, even the, oh, I don't think they're going to be open things that we say to ourselves as if we know what an open person looks like. <laughs> That's kind of a funny thing, right? Mm-hmm. We, we think we know before we even talk to someone. Well, they had a situation, and I just don't think, you know, I can do all those. I can think of all those things in five seconds when I meet someone new. It's not, it's not very hard. But, but, we, but we must be inspired by Paul to realize that, that the proclamation, it can make a difference. It can make a difference. For the people with whom we share it with. Yeah. And to me, when you proclaim it, when you proclaim it, it's because you get it. When you proclaim the gospel, it's because you get it. You get what you have in the gospel. Mm. And I get quieter with the gospel when I look to myself, which was all those excuses I just went through, right? I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking to myself. And so does the church. Mm. When we start to look to ourselves and, well, we don't have this, and we don't have that, and well, our... Our preacher's American, or our song leaders, or you know, whatever we might think might hinder people. Okay. Might hinder people. He was Canadian, now he's American. I, you know, I don't know. It's North American thing. But when we start thinking that way, what are we looking at? We're not looking at the gospel. We're not looking at Jesus. We're just looking at ourselves. We don't save anybody. 
So why would we proclaim ourselves? We're sharing our faith in the gospel when we open our mouths, whether it's just to invite someone to church or whether it's to sit down and study the Bible with them. That's why we do what we do. I love Romans 1, uh, verse 16. Hopefully you can read it here. Uh, Paul says there, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The Greek word there for power uh, is dynamis, where we get the English word dynamite. And I, and I, lo- I love that. I love that, that idea that, that the gospel is like dynamite. It's like dynamite. You know, we think a lot of times about things that, that stop people from becoming Christians. You know, a big one is culture. You know, we think, well, you know, they come from this background, or they come from that background, or, you know, they, because they come from this background, they have this sin in their life, and, 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 and we kind of think, oh, I don't know, I don't know if they can really get there. But the gospel can blow that stuff up. It can blow through culture, whatever it might be. You know, we think of, uh, of generational gaps, you know, and, and you know, well, the, this new generation, they believe less and less in God. You know, what are the problems with kids these days? Well, I say it's their families. But anyway, I mean, the gospel can get through those things. It's like dynamite. The sin tries to stop it, but the gospel blows it up. The culture, the generation, the Bible, whatever, the gospel can blow right through those barriers. It can blow right through them. You know, I, I was able to preach at a campus retreat where I became a Christian in mm-hmm. Cincinnati, Ohio. A few years back, my wife and I and my kids, we all came back to Cincinnati where I became a Christian. And it was so awesome. This campus ministry there is doing great. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to the bridge. There's a bridge across the university there where, where I was reached out to. Because mm-hmm. I was one of those people. I was just walking along, minding my own paving business, you know, on campus that day. And, and this disciple of Jesus stopped me in my tracks. Hey, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Do you, do, you, do you know Jesus? Do you know the Bible? Would you love to come to church? He said, oh, he would sell everything to me, you know? And uh, I was just kind of like, I, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Can I get your number and, and follow up with you? Sure, whatever. You know, I was just trying to get him to leave me alone, pretty much. <laughs> and it's amazing when I think about that guy. His name is Mark Floyd. And, uh, you know, you know Mark, Mark changed my life forever. And I was on that bridge with my wife and my children. And, you know, back at this camp retreat, you know, 15 years later, you know, in the ministry now. And then at that time, we were living in Virginia. We little did I know I was going to go to Sydney and, and now Birmingham, England, you know. And it was just it was just such a moment for me. I was just so moved by, by the power of one person who proclaims the gospel. That's what he did. And he didn't do it the coolest. He didn't do it the smoothest. I thought I was, you know, I thought I was way cooler than him. You know, he had all things going against him. But he presented with me the gospel. And it changed my life. And it's still changing my life to this day. And it's the same, it's the same for us. We, we bring that to people's lives. It's going to blow it up. It's like dynamite. It can break through. It can change it. It can fix it. It can heal it, whatever it is. The gospel can transform it. But we got to believe it as the church, first and foremost. we got to continue to get it. As a church in our own lives. That's why we take communion every Sunday. We can't lose sight of the power of the gospel. You know, if you're visiting with us today, thank you for coming. Whether you're a Christian or not, I ask you this question. Have you experienced the power of the gospel in your life? 
And one of the ways that helped me to see that I had it was I started re reading the Bible and studying it with some people in the church there in Cincinnati. And I realized that there was all this sin in my life that was ruling me. Yeah. Things that I knew weren't good, and I knew they were bad, and that's the biblical things that you know are called sin. Mm. And I was ashamed of them, but I, I was stuck. Just kept coming back to it and back to it and back to it. And, and once I saw that, I realized, you know, I, I, needed, I needed help. And I realized that I was I was trapped. But then what was awesome is I saw Jesus was offering me a way out. Mm. He was offering me good news. He was helping offer me to get away from that cycle that was just just tormenting me in that emptiness mm -hmm. that was deep inside of me. Mm -hmm. You know, if you know you have some of that in your life, you may not yet really then understand the gospel. Mm -hmm. And we as a church, we don't have a lot of things on straight, especially me. Mm -hmm. But we, we understand the gospel, and we'd love to share that with you. Mm -hmm. Please, talk to those who invited you out. Please talk to me after service. We'd love to sit down with you and mm -hmm. share with you the power of the gospel. Mm -hmm. To advance the gospel, we must suffer for it. We must also proclaim it. And finally, this morning... Sorry, I had a cool thing on keynote that was going to blow up, but it didn't work. There's the university that I went to. I forgot about that. we got to live it. we got to suffer for it. we got to proclaim it. And finally, we have to live it. You know, Paul here, very personally and passionately, speaks of his own life a lot in this letter. But it all comes back again to living for the gospel, right? Paul's life is all about that. You know, verse 21, for to me, to live as Christ... And to die is gain. Mm. We don't oftentimes see death that way. Mm. If you found out tomorrow you were going to die, would that be good news as a Christian? It should be. Finally, I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus. Praise God. No more temptation with sin. No more lower back pain. Whatever it might be. We should be rejoicing at the sound of that. But a lot of us would be terrified, probably, if we're honest with ourselves. Because we... We don't, always, we don't always grasp what we really have in Christ. You know, Paul got it. So he said, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he goes on this little rant, right, uh, in verses 22 uh, to 24. He says, I, I'd love to go be in heaven, but I think God wants me to stick around and take care of you guys. So he says, I, I think I'm going to be here a little, you know, a little bit longer. But it was, just, it was just all about living out the gospel in his life. And so then he, he reminds them that, yeah, I want to be in heaven, but I'm not. I'm here trying to help you. And why am I here trying to help you? Because he says in verse 27, he caused them to conduct themselves in a the manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And evidently, they were not. Why, why was he concerned about them not living out what the gospel was teaching? Well, we know from chapter 4 that there were, there were divisions in the church. And so that was one of the things he was concerned about. We know from chapter 3 he was concerned about their legalism. Uh, we, we know from chapter 1 they were being timid. They, they, they weren't really standing up for their faith the way that they ought to. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and specifically here in, in chapter uh, 1, verse 20, 27, he says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, whether I, you know, he ever gets to visit them, he says, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so Paul, he calls the church to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And I think it's quite interesting that, that after that, he calls them to be one. He says one of the ways, in other words, one of the ways you can know that you're really living out the gospel is that you're unified with the church. That's exactly what he says, right? How do they do that? You know, how do they live it out? He says stay one. Strive together as one is what the text here literally says in verse 27. 
Uh, we talked about last Sunday about it was this formation probably that they would have thought of the phalanx. Because mm-hmm. Philippi was, was a retired military colony. And so perhaps uh, because of the, the Greek and the Roman heritage mil- mil- militaristically, uh, they would have thought of this, this, this vision. Uh, and and the, the Greek scholars all interpret this phrase in, in military terms. The new NIV says striving together as one. Uh, the old NIV says contain as one man. Another more literal translation uh, can also say fighting side by side. And, and so the Greek definitely indicates you know, some kind of military language. And, and the phalanx, as we talked about uh, last Sunday, was trained spearmen who fought together in close ranks. And they kind of just moved as a, as a square with their shields locked together and their spears out. And anything that, that threatened it, they would turn and they would fight it off. And they, and they would plow down other armies with this particular strategy for many, many years. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all for one and one for all. If one of those, if one of those soldiers break, breaks ranks, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's not as strong as it was because this guy's side is now open and vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, to attack. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great reminder, right, that, that in the church, community must rule. Mm-hmm. For us to glorify God and to really be people mm-hmm. who are living out the gospel, we must remain one. We are all bound by each other. In all things, we should not break ranks. Mm. And this is how we should approach anything that threatens our unity. Mm. Right? We, we should fight against that. Mm. The sin that threatens our unity, we should fight against it. Mm. Uh, you know, th- things that, that will, will challenge that, we, we, we must stand against it. We don't, we don't fight each other, we fight against the sin mm. that disrupts our lives mm. and causes us to not be unified. Mm. But unfortunately, a lot of times, uh, and, and it's interesting in verse 28... He says, you know, don't be frightened by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed and that you will be saved. Mm-hmm. Paul's not talking casual here. He's talking about life and death. Mm-hmm. He's talking about people being destroyed and people being saved. This is serious stuff, mm-hmm. spiritually speaking. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about this, this unity that he, that he calls the church to. Mm-hmm. That is them conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But a lot of times we approach... Our relationships in the church, we can approach the church kind of like, you know, kind of like it's a casual pickup football game. You know, yeah, you know, maybe I, maybe I get in the game a little bit and kick the ball a few times and maybe I score a goal, maybe I won't. Maybe you'll show up and play with me, maybe you won't, but you know, it's all good. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a football game. But we're talking about life and death. Yeah. We're talking about the, the gospel being proclaimed or the gospel not being proclaimed. If not us, then who will proclaim the gospel? If not now, then when are we to do it? It's got to be us. It's got to be now. And our unity as a church will help or hinder that process. Paul makes that very clear. And if we are breaking ranks away from the church for whatever reason, personally or collectively, you're not answering to me. You're not answering to someone else in this church. You're answering to the captain of the church, and that's Jesus. And you've got to think about that, right? Mm. If that's where you go in your own sin or in your own views of whatever. Mm. It's Jesus' church. Mm. We are soldiers in his army. Mm. Is my life, is your life worthy of the gospel? Mm. A great price was paid so that we could receive it. Mm. If we get that, we'll live that way individually and collectively as a church. Mm. The gospel will not advance if we're not living, breathing, everyday examples of its power. Church, in our life and doctrine, we must become more and more a phalanx for the gospel. 
You know, the gospel, it, it's so powerful. It's, it's, it's amazing. I love, uh, I love uh, The Lion King. It's a great movie. Most people are familiar with it. You know that the part there... Did I share this last time? No. Yeah. The part there, you know, with the hyenas are... I'm talking about Mufasa the king. Uh-huh. Did I share that? No. And then the hyenas, you know, they're... They're, they're, they're just saying Mufasa's name. They're like, ooh, Mufasa. And they just start getting nervous, right? Ooh, Mufasa. And they're kind of excited and they're kind of nervous, right? And, uh, and I think about that, you know, as Christians, in the church it should be, ooh, the gospel. <laughs> Lewis got baptized, ooh, the gospel. Lawrence, when we see the world, he's ooh, the gospel. I look back, I see George fired up, ooh, the gospel. I walk in, I see Tan. Tan says, oh, I'm tired. I was up till 6 in the morning watching the Olympics. Oh, no. <laughs> so I can see why you're tired. <laughs> but I see Tan here fired up and smiling, giving, ooh, the gospel. Yeah. You know, and that, that's the way we should see it. That's the way we should feel. Because the gospel is so powerful. We've got to bear it. We've got to proclaim it. And we've got to be willing to live it out. And if we do those things, if we do those things, we keep going, we bear it, we proclaim it, we live it. The gospel in its power, it will advance. It will continue to change us. It will continue to change our church. It will continue to change this city and turn it upside down for Christ. And it will hopefully change the statistics about this country that we live in. Let's, let's be these people who bear, proclaim, and live the gospel. And the Birmingham Church of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Amen.